Well, thank you for that lovely welcome. It's great to be here. It's uh, good to see your problem of how packed you are in here and at the beginning of your next adventure of uh, multiplying meetings and making space for those who will, I'm sure, want to join you. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful welcome. Perhaps you should come with me everywhere I preach. Uh, thank you for that. Um, and it's a, it's a blessing to be here. It's wonderful to see how God has blessed you. Speaking of new frontiers, that name may mean something to some of us and not so much to others. Next uh, Week after next, the international leaders of all the various teams around the world will be gathering in Cyprus. We do that once a year. And so guys from Africa and India, all over. Uh, we have many, many teams now around the world and all be gathering uh, to catch up, to be instructed, to worship, to pray together and uh, to celebrate in one another's victories and to have compassion on, for instance, Andre Bondarenko coming from the Ukraine and all the difficulties they're going through. So we're part of a great big international family and it's great to be in this particular part of it with you this morning. I love the theme that you've been looking at and uh, following through in this morning, God's glorious church. And we looked at it together last night. Those of you who are able to be with us last night, we looked at a, a broad view, really, right back from the Old Testament into God's purpose through Abraham and on and on, and God restoring, restoring a people that will fill the earth for his glory. This morning, I want to come and focus right in on a New Testament expression, perhaps, I think, one of the most wonderful chapters about the church in the New Testament, and it's in Ephesians and chapter 4. Ephesians in chapter 4, I'm going to read uh, 16 verses, I'm reading from the NASB, so don't worry too much if one or two words may differ from the passage you're used to, but it will be essentially, essentially the same. So Paul is writing to this church at Ephesus, which seems to be a glorious church, and the first three chapters, he's been telling us who we are in Christ, the radical stuff that's happened to us because we put our trust in Jesus. And then, as is often the case in Paul's letters, there comes a kind of a turning point where he kind of puts it back onto us and says, look, in view of all this, because God's done all these things, therefore, let's respond. And uh, that's what I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, that kind of therefore, therefore, in view of all that God has done. I haven't got time to go through the previous three chapters, but it is a response to what God has done for us in Christ. Ephesians 4.1, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk worthy in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you are also called in the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 11, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to 
a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking of the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Father, we just thank you for your word. We welcome your presence. We thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Come, Holy Spirit. Rest upon us. Instruct our hearts, our minds. Come amongst us, Lord. May we know we're being taught by you. Lead us into truth. Take the things of Christ. Reveal them to us, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here, I think, is one of the most wonderful pictures of the church in the Bible. The book of Ephesians talks about the church in many ways. It speaks of the church as the bride of Christ. In Ephesians 6, it talks about being an army. It speaks of us being a temple. It, it speaks of us being a body of many members. All sorts of different images the Apostle Paul uses to tell us of the glories of the church. The church isn't just a place we go to uh, occasionally, a group of people we sometimes associate with, but it's a phenomenal thing. It's a, a captive people that God has gathered together, building them together in an extraordinary way. And so we see about a body with members, each part having its part to play, and, and coming to the fullness of the stature of Christ, that a people on planet Earth that look like Jesus, a people that extraordinarily in their lifestyle, the way they are, are together, not just alone, that where they are together is a sign and a wonder on the, on the Earth. That's what God wants. And from the outset of this chapter, he tells us to maintain the unity of the Spirit, now, when it talks about the Holy Spirit, it's not just talking about the unity of our style, you know, the kind of spirit there. No, it's the unity which the Holy Spirit gives. That's one of the extraordinary phenomenon about the church, that God comes in his fullness amongst the people. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell from heaven to celebrate that Jesus had conquered death, He's alive, he's ascended on high, he's enthroned, and it's this kind of enthronement gift, the presence of God poured out in an unprecedented way. Never before had planet Earth known such an outpouring of the presence of God. And these people were full of God, and some 3,000 people became the beginnings of the early church, flooded with the presence of God. And God is saying to him, Paul is saying here, look, maintain that unity of the Spirit, that unity which this amazing thing did, it, it kind of made you one people, the Spirit coming upon you. And you read about how that extended in the, in the book of Acts. It's interesting how, for instance, initially they were all Jewish people. The church was, was all Jewish people, uh, 120 in the upper room, 3,000 Jews that had come in from all over the world to celebrate Pentecost. It was Jewish people. 
And then it began to overflow and began to break out. And there's a very key chapter in uh, Acts chapter 10 where Peter is told to go, by God to go to Gentiles. Now, that would have been revolutionary for him. Absolutely revolutionary. In fact, I believe that's why you'll find this whole story is kind of written twice over in the book of Acts. It's told in Acts chapter 10 what actually happened. Then it's told again in chapter 11 when Peter explains why it happened and what was going on. Because what happened was Peter, this Jewish former Jewish but now leading Christian apostle, he's praying and he sees a vision. And in this vision, he sees a sheet coming down from heaven with what he regards as unclean animals. In the Old Testament, he wouldn't have been allowed to eat these things. And the voice comes, arise, Peter, kill and eat. He says, oh, no, I don't touch that stuff. I'm a good Hebrew. I don't, I've never eaten that stuff. You know, I'm, 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 what am I, in my 30s now? I've, I've never eaten that. I'm not going to start now. And so he resists God. He said, no. Then he gets a second vision. Rise, kill and eat. No, 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 I'm not going to. Third time it happens. And God says to him, what God has called clean, don't you call unclean. I thought, wow, this is a new day. So I can't eat that. And what is that all about? Why is God speaking to me like that? And as he's, he's trying to work it all out, there's a kind of knock at the door, and in comes some Romans, unclean Romans. Uh, and he doesn't mix with these guys. I mean, they're the enemy. Uh, I mean, these, these horrible foreign pigs, they're, they're Roman soldiers. They're ruining our lives. They spoiled our nation. They're messing us up. And they say, come with us. Why would I go with you? Well, God's spoken. God's spoken to you? Yeah, God spoke to us and said, send for you. So you've got to come and tell us, what is your message? So Peter takes some guys with him, and, and he's going to go to a Gentile home. I mean, a Gentile home. If, it, well, if he steps inside that Gentile home, he'll be unclean. So he won't be able to go to the temple. He'll have to go through all kinds of cleansing, because he went into a Gentile home. It's a bit like COVID. You don't go in there. That's what it would have been like. So he goes and he goes to this Gentile home and it's full of Romans and it's soldiers. And they say, well, God spoke to us. God spoke to you, yeah. Well, what, what, what have you got to say? What have you got? And so he starts telling them about Jesus. And it's fascinating. If you read in Acts chapter 10, you, you see him telling uh, the gospel about Jesus. And he's kind of, he's barely finished in fact, it's interesting, in chapter 11, when he's up in front of all the other apostles, what were you doing in a Gentile home? And he says in his explanation, I was just beginning to speak. <laughs> in chapter 10, he's just, I was only just beginning to speak. And the Spirit fell on them. That's what I read in Acts chapter 10. He's talking about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit fell on the Roman pigs. And they're all speaking in tongues and glorifying God. And Peter says, what is this? You've received the Holy Spirit like we have. Beloved, that is one of the most amazing things that happens in the New Testament. It's there in chapter 10. To make sure you get it, Luke writes again in chapter 11. God is pouring out his spirit. See, God is on a mission. Some of us looked at this last night. God's purpose is for the gospel to go to every nation, every people. And this is one of the first breakthrough times. Extraordinary breakthrough time. See, it happened just before the cross. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, 
The Greeks are asking. We would see Jesus. It's a wonderful moment in John chapter 10. The Greeks say, we would see Jesus. What are Greeks wanting to see Jesus for? This is a Jewish thing, isn't it? He's my Messiah. We would see Jesus. And Jesus' answer is beautiful. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it'll bear much fruit. These Gentiles, Gentiles knocking the door. Is there salvation for us? Can we see Jesus? Jesus, wait a while. I've got to do something first. I've got to fall into the ground and die. Otherwise, I abide alone. If I die, boy, the fruit will be amazing. But these men had to live through it, beloved. They had to learn. These guys had stumbled on Jesus. You know, this amazing teacher, extraordinary miracle worker. I mean, they didn't understand right from day one. This is, we are following Jesus. No, 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 no. They didn't understand from the beginning who he was. One day they're in a storm, and the storm's going to kill them. And he stands up and says, shush, and the storm stops. And says, what manner of man is this? They're kind of, whoa, who is he? Who is this guy we've kind of attached our lives to? This wonderful, kind of, this extraordinary figure. This wonderful person. No man ever spoke like this man. See, even the enemies came. Enemies were sent. Go and capture him. The Pharisees sent their, their soldiers. And they came back. They listened to him. They came back empty-handed. Well, we were, well, no man ever spoke like this man. He was amazing. The things he said, the things he did, the things they drew, he drew them into it. With He, he drew them into their, his world. It's like one time it says he went up a mountain and 5,000 followed him. 5,000 men, it says, and this is and women and children. A great Bible commentator says probably 20,000. D.A. Carson says probably 20,000. 5,000 men, women, children. And it says on day one he taught them and he healed them. And then slept, slept rough on the mountain. Next day he taught them and he healed them. And they slept another night. The third day, says, he healed them all. 20,000 people. And there's not a sick person left. It's like God's come down. God is visiting the planet. And these disciples are with him every day. And they're, what is going on? And then they say, hey, uh, you better send these people away. They've been with us three days and they haven't had anything to eat. And Jesus says, what do you got? Oh, a couple of loaves and fishes. You feed them. What? 20,000? You feed them. Okay. Uh, right, there's a bit for you and a bit, bit for you. And, oh, hey, wait a minute. What's, what's, what's happening? What's happening? And these men are drawn into his amazing world of supernatural. They, they fellowship with this supernatural God. They, they touched and handled the word of life. God is visiting the planet. And up till this point, it's just in this Jewish context. Up to this point, it's all in a Jewish framework. And then suddenly, suddenly, the Holy Spirit's poured out. Yeah. On the day of Pentecost, there's Jewish people from all over the world. You know, the Jewish people all over the world today that were in those days. Jewish people came back. They spoke the languages of the nations they were in. Wow, there's an outpouring of the Spirit. But it's all Jewish. But Acts 10, my, that's phenomenal. Now, Gentiles, what is that? See, God is on a mission. 
God is ahead of the apostles. The apostles are probably quite reluctant. But you see, God is on a mission. It's funny, I have conversations with elders sometimes. They're saying, well, what should be our mission statement? <laughs> Perhaps we can get God interested in our mission. God's on a mission. Your, your mission statement's pretty irrelevant. God is on a mission. And he wants to introduce you to his mission. It's not us saying, well, we've got an idea, we've got a plan, we've got a mission. Here's our statement. Are you interested in God? No. God is already on a mission. And the, gen the, the Gentiles were his next step. And now you've got these guys and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter is amazed. They received the Holy Spirit. These Gentiles, they're speaking in tongues like we do. God's with them. The Holy Spirit's among them. And then Paul writes, maintain the unity of the Spirit. That's the first thing I want to just mention in this Ephesians, Ephesians 4. Maintain the unity. You see, the Holy Spirit, the unity is the unity of the Spirit. God is amongst us. And they've got to learn in this early church to maintain unity. And so have we. But in their world, it was, the world was full of contrast. as Jews and Gentiles. You know, when Paul writes to the Roman church, he says, accept one another. Because, well, they're so different. And Jews would have thought, well, the Sabbath is important. And Gentiles are thinking, what on earth are you talking about? And, and, and there are differences. And, there are, and, and what's important and what isn't important. But above all, maintain the unity of the Spirit. Above all. Above all. The Roman church was probably half Jews, half Gentiles. Many of the churches would have had that mix. There were slaves and free. Imagine, slaves. Uh, you know, it says, look, bear with one another in love. I mean, you couldn't be more different. Uh, you know, you're my slave. You've got a wonderful letter in the Bible called Philemon, with a runaway slave, and then he's sent back. He's become a Christian. Uh, and Paul writes to the guy, says, receive him like you receive me. Well, he's my slave. He's my slave. He's like, a, he's like a piece of furniture that breathes. I could do what I like with him. If I beat him to death, no one would ask questions. He's my slave. No, no, receive him like a brother. What? Receive him like a brother? The, the church is breathtaking. Yeah. Jews and Gentiles, it's no longer relevant. Now you're one. With all our background, yeah, with all your background, maintain that unity. It's breathtaking, beloved. It's breathtaking, the unity. Any divisions we have in our world... Racial divisions, age divisions are very pathetic compared with these divisions in the Bible at that time. Slaves and free, Jews and Gentiles, men and women. In a new way, a new way of acceptance, receiving one another. It's breathtaking. Maintain the unity of the Spirit. Work at it. And that's what it says in this opening chapter, opening passage. Therefore, with all humility and gentleness... The first word is kind of lowliness. How do I receive people? Well, with lowliness. In other words, we're not full of ourselves. It's not like, she pushed in the queue. It doesn't really matter. See, people can fall out over such little things. She didn't say hi to me. Why wasn't I told? Why wasn't my name on the list? We can fall out over all kinds of little things, but Paul is saying with lowliness. Now, lowliness 
in the Greek world would have been totally despised. Lowliness is appropriate for slaves. They should be lowly. They should be lowly. It's like Winston Churchill said about Clement Attlee. He's a very humble man, but he has much to be humble about. <laughs> that was Churchill. <laughs> no, yeah, of course he's lowly. No, no, associate with the lowly. But that's what I would rather associate with the high. I'd rather associate with the people who can pull me up. No, no, associate. But they won't. What, what, what good would the lowly do to me? What doors can they open? Associate with the lowly. With all humility. God loves humility. Jesus said, I am lowly. That's who he is. He said, learn of me. See, beloved, if we're going to build churches that are stunning in their unity, in a fragmented world, people screaming at one another in our world, more and more hostility, more and more fragmentation, more and more people telling other people what they ought to do. And the church, beloved, is meant to be something phenomenally different. Phenomenally different. It's not just we go to that place on Sundays. We're a people, God's alternative society, who live differently. And one of the ways we live differently is that we have a lowly view of ourselves. That way, it's easier to receive other people. If we're a bit full of ourselves, it's not so easy to receive other people. If we feel I should be, my name should be high up, why wasn't I told? That kind of mentality does not build the church. Lowliness is something we have to work at. It says with all lowliness and, and gentleness. These are the things in the opening verse. Maintain this unity of the Spirit. In fact, it says this, make every effort. Now, the commentators say you could not use a stronger word than is used here. Make every effort. Work hard at maintaining unity of the Spirit. It's not just agreeing with one another. It's the Holy Spirit. He's like a gentle dove. He loves to rest upon a people. There's something about the Spirit which you think, don't quench him, don't grieve him. He's a personality. The Holy Spirit is a personality. And he loves peace. And if we're going to be a people aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to make room for him. And, and where there's peace and love, and for, he enjoys that. And we want more of him, don't we? We need more of him, don't we? We need his divine energy. We need the supernatural that we read of in the early church. This phenomenal power. Beloved, if we're going to see our nation turn from its awful decline, its moral decline, it's getting worse and worse, more and more lost, more and more confused, and only the church has the answer. See, no one can legislate for righteousness. You can't pass a law. We will be righteous from now on. No, no, no. On, only the power of God can do that. And it has happened in our history. I love, I love reading about church history. When the Wesley, the Wesley brothers and Whitfield, I've got a book. It's called England Before and After Wesley. John Wesley and Whitfield and these other people, they knew an incredible coming of the Spirit upon them. And they just started preaching, and they couldn't get the people in the churches. They're preaching in the open air. And thousands are gathering, and thousands became Christians. Thousands. Many, many churches were planted all over England. God did a phenomenal thing. And then 
in the next generation, Wilberforce, Shaftesbury, and I've got this book, Before and After Wesley, England, and it tells how children were looked after, how women were treated. It tells about how hospitals changed, how prisons changed, and it's just detail, detail of how this nation changed on the back of a spiritual awakening. All kinds of social changes. Because when the church is flourishing, the nation prospers. When the church is just irrelevant, they don't even know what they believe anymore. That's not going to affect the world. But beloved, if we know the power of the Spirit, we, we reverence His presence. We want His presence. There's no limit to what the church can do. And then the nation has the privilege of a living church that wakes it up and stirs it up and brings conviction. So we have to work very hard. He says, make every effort to maintain that unity. It's not like she started it. She knows my phone number if she wants to call me. <laughs> make every effort. I sit on the different side. I just avoid her. I won't speak to him. See, beloved, that's not appropriate for the church of God. We have to make every effort. Anyone you're out of step with at the moment? Any Christian you don't speak to? Beloved, it won't do. You've got to make every effort to maintain this unity because it's the Holy Spirit who's involved. It's not just me and him. It's the Holy Spirit. We want him. We need the Spirit. So we work very hard to maintain this unity so the Holy Spirit can rest upon us in power. Make every effort. So, yeah, with humility, we're not scared to be humble. It was against the Greek culture to be humble. Humble guy. And that's increasingly becoming the way in our British culture. Humility is not admired necessarily. But something like God loves. Jesus said, I'm lowly. I'm approachable. Learn of me. And I'm gentle. The Greek word is praus. And, and it's interesting, it's the same word that's used when a horse is broken in. It's praus. I dare say, you may, you're not my age, so you may not have seen those old movies with cowboys when the hero kind of hangs in there with this stallion that no one else can tame. And the hero hangs in there. And eventually the, the stallion stops what? It stops kicking back. It's praus. That's what it means. It's broken in. Are you broken in or do you kick back? That's what it means. With all lowliness and gentleness, we're not prone to kick back. We're not coming on, on social media. It's not in our style. We don't kick back. We don't kick back. That's the style of Jesus. He didn't answer. Hey, God wants a people that look like him. We come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. There's a whole people like him. They don't kick back. There's a kind of lowliness about them. They're not full of themselves. Why? Well, because they want the Holy Spirit with them. They want this presence that lifts them above something. It lifts them into another dimension. The church doesn't look often like it's in another dimension. But when the Spirit's on us, we're in another dimension. It's evident. But we've got to work hard, maintain the unity of the Spirit. Humility, gentleness, with patience. See, living together is difficult sometimes. The more you want to build a community, the tougher it is, really. It's just one of the church goer. It's not difficult. Hello. 
No, but if you want to build a community, there's more opportunity to be offended, upset. But we, we, we live with patience. With patience. See, love, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. It just is. We're going through, <laughs> Wendy and I, we've got 21 grandchildren. How about that? Uh, 21. So we've got all kinds of little kids around. Uh, and, and their parents. And I, of course, we live through it ourselves. But now I'm going through it again, watching my, parents, my kids go through it. And I tell you, love is patient. He said, there's that kid waking up again. Oh, you poor little thing. I think, mm-hmm. no. But love is, love is, are you okay, darling? You think, well, what's wrong with that? She just loves him. Love, love is patient. It's just true. It's just true. When we were first started, just learning about charismatic gifts in the church that I was pastoring, we were just making space, making space, making space. And one of the young men, quite a recent convert, he, he, he stood up and prophesied. In this prophecy, he, he just told us all off in the name of Jesus. <laughs> He's, says the Lord. And uh, so, so I just stood up and said, so, do we all still love Steve? <laughs> yeah, we do. You've got to learn. We've got to learn. We're opening the door to all kinds of new Phenomena, the Spirit of God breaking in. And, and sometimes we don't do it well. Sometimes we do it better. And if, oh, we don't want that stuff. No, no, patience, patience. Hey, we can grow into something beautiful. But it needs patience. Because people make mistakes. Frailty gets through. Do we still love Steve? Yeah, we did. He's a pastor now. We loved him through his kind of awkwardness. So we, we love one another through. So to maintain the unity of the Spirit, we work at it. First, by having good attitude about ourselves. We're not, it doesn't matter if, I, if someone didn't include me. Why wasn't I invited? It really doesn't matter. Why wasn't my name on the list? doesn't matter. She bumped in. It doesn't matter. He pushed his way. It doesn't. So we learn. We learn, beloved. We learn. And so we become open to one another and the Holy Spirit starts moving upon us. Gifts start multiplying in that context with lowliness and gentleness eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and just reminding ourselves that in that early church, Jews and Gentiles, totally different background amazing contrast amazing contrast slaves and free, amazing contrast I think it was Andy I heard say at one point, at the end of some of the epistles, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. That's the sort of thing we Westerners kind of, you know, holy kiss, weird thing. But in their culture, yeah, they did greet one another with a kiss. Um, Hey, greet your slaves with a holy kiss. My slave? Yeah, greet one another with a holy kiss. It's beautiful. It's like, what are you doing with your slaves? You're embracing slaves. Yeah, it's a new community. It's God's new people, God's alternative society. So we see this. And then just jump down uh, a little later in the passage. It says, speaking the truth to one another in love. See, we need the spirit, but we need the truth as well. We need the word of God. And that's what we want to be known as here at Reading Family Church, spirit and truth. 
It's not like we're so fascinated with the Spirit. Oh, the Bible gets in the way. No, 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 no. We need Word and Spirit. We desperately need both. I once heard somebody say, doctrine just divides. If we just get rid of doctrine, that would be okay. It's foolish, really. It's like John Lennon's imagine. Imagine there's no doctrine. No, it's silly. We need truth. We need truth. And, and if we don't know truth, we never grow. And so we've got to get it right. But we've got to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. I had the invitation to speak years ago at what was called the Westminster Fellowship back in the 80s. We were seeing churches planted, new frontiers were planting churches more and more and more and more. I'd written a book called Restoration in the Church. There was a big backlash, big backlash. And I was invited to speak at Westminster Fellowship where Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to speak. And it was packed. R.T. Kendall said to me, I've never seen so many people turn up. I've never seen those partitions open before. Because there's so much, you know, these Bible weeks are growing and they're not very happy with this. And I, I, I explained, as far as I knew how, the backlash was, bruh, it's really, really angry, quoting Bible verses, speaking the truth, but not in much love. And last week, I was invited to speak to a similar group of people, a hundred pastors in London. And I was, well, things have changed, isn't that good? People say, I'm so glad that I got introduced so warmly. And the Q&A time afterwards was so warm and kind. And I think they understand, oh, no, we do love the truth. I th they thought, these charismatics, they're crazy people. Somebody actually came to me, one of the pastors in that whole thing, he said, um, is it true that Stuart Townend comes from your church? Well, Stuart Townend wrote In Christ Alone, which is kind of a hymn that is received all over, full of doctrine. Is it true that Stuart Townend comes from your church? And I said, I said, yeah, yeah. He said, which church did he go to before? <laughs> and I said, don't be cheeky. I said, we baptized him as a teenager. He's learned his theology from us. Is it possible? You're kind of famously charismatic. Yeah, but we want to be famously biblical as well. In right truth, that is amazing. In Christ alone. Wonderful truth. Yeah, because we want to speak the truth. We don't turn our back on doctrine. We love doctrine. We love truth. We love the presence of the Spirit. And we love truth. That's what this is telling us about in Ephesians 4. Speaking the truth. It's not like hammering one another. When I first went to Bible college, and I, the people, the, oh, we're Calvinists, we're Arminians, they're angry. It's like they fellowship, like in those days, you know, people were fellowshipping with a tennis racket. Bang, bang. What about this verse? Uh, no, no, no. Let's, we need one another. We need to hear one another through. If we're going to grow to maturity, to true biblical maturity, then we need truth. We never grow without truth. We never... We never kind of find some other way through just get a funny feeling oh now we can be united no no we need truth truth will build us up truth will bring us through but we need the power of the spirit beloved that's what this church is about it's about word and spirit it's about a humble attitude even to scriptures we hold you see have you seen this verse it says in James 3, the wisdom from above is peaceful 
it's, it's funny, it's interesting. It says, this wisdom from above, is, it's open to reason, but it also says it's kind of unmovable. You think, how can you be both? The wisdom from above is like stable, and it's open to reason. Well, you're either stable or you're... No, no. How do you become stable but open? Well, by being mature. By being mature. So the, the church, the wisdom from above, will tend to say, no, these, this is the ground we stand on. This, this, is, this is, Reading Family Church stands on these truths. You know, these are truths we stand on. But if you can show me in the Bible, what about this? Oh, okay. We're open to reason. It's not that we change with every wind of doctrine, every latest paperback, every new fad that sweeps through the body of Christ. I've been around a long time. I've seen fads that come sweeping through and everybody runs after them for a while and then they go out of fashion. We haven't got time for that. We want the truth. But if you can show me, well, I've never seen that before. I need to rethink because it's in the Bible. That's the wisdom from above. It's open to biblical reason. You show me, show me in the Word. We'll, we'll change. But we, we, there are truths we, we tend not to move on because that's what the Bible says. And that's what should characterize the church. The church shouldn't be, oh, the culture's changed. We better run and keep up with the culture. We want to stay relevant. The culture's changed. The culture's changed. Come on, church. No, 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 no. The church was never meant to run after the culture. The church is to be sought. Different. Sometimes offensive, like Jesus was. Jesus was a rock of offense to those who opposed him. He was lowly and gentle in character, but he was a rock of offense as regards truth. Someone broke on him. So there's truth. We speak the truth. We cling to truth in love. And then lastly, as I close here, the beginning, the last verse I read you, verse 16, the body fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body. Each individual part we're meant to be a functioning community. I know the Baptist church I was saved into. I, I didn't come from a Christian background at all. But I was very blessed to find a, quite nearby a Baptist church. I loved the Bible and preached the Bible. And the pastor was a wonderful, godly man. And I benefited greatly. But he, he said at the end of uh, most Sundays, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. He loved that verse. It meant be here next Sunday. Don't forsake the gathering, as is the habit of some. But that's not quoting the whole verse. It goes on to say this, but encourage one another. But we, don't, we weren't doing that because we weren't doing anything for one another. We came to listen to him. And he was a great preacher, so it was good. But the verse says, but encourage one another. And as we mentioned last night to the meeting, there are over 40 one another verses in the New Testament one another, building one another up, speaking the truth to one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, admonishing one another, confessing your thoughts to one another. What, you mean we need one another? Yes. It's impossible to become a mature Christian alone. There's nothing in the New Testament to suggest that you become a mature Christian alone. We need one another. 
We need, and the closer we can get, the more we benefit. That's why it's so good to be in a small group. If you've recently started coming on Sundays, let me encourage you, find your way into a small group where you can get closer, you can get closer. You can start sharing your heart. It's not easy, especially for English people, to just share your heart with people you don't really know. It needs time. It needs, do I trust her? Do I trust him? Can I share? See, beloved, without being able to share from the heart, it's difficult. We need one another. I know for myself, I go back in ancient history for me, I, I, I fell in love with my wife when we were at Bible college. She was a student, and, and I, I kind of approached her, and she turned me down. And I kind of approached her a second time, she turned me down. And, and I, I thought, blow this. So I had three days of prayer and fasting. I, 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 I did. I said, Lord, either turn her heart or get her out of my hair. I can't handle this. So I prayed and prayed and prayed. And hallelujah, on the last day, she came to me. Hallelujah, it's wonderful. And, and then I wanted to get engaged to her, and, and she's just going out for 21. I thought, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait for the, her 21st birthday. I, it took all, all of uh, kind of concentration. No, 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 don't say it yet. No, wait till I wait. And I, ah, 21. <gasps> can ask her to marry me. What shocked me was that a couple of months later, I went on a conference, young guys and girls, and we were away together for about two weeks on this training program. And there was a girl in the group, and she kind of came on to me, and I liked it. We didn't say anything. Nothing happened, but it was eye contact. And I liked it. And I thought, what are you up to? I thought, what kind of Christian are you? I thought, well, I was really shocked at myself. Because I was desperately in love, but I, I'd rather like this. And so I was sharing with a guy whom I knew very well. And, and we, uh, that evening I said, I said, brother, help me. I don't understand myself. I'm terribly in love. And I'm coming on to this girl. Will you pray with me? And I confessed my fault to my brother. We prayed together. It's broken. See, confess your faults to one another. I can't become a mature Christian alone. I need my brothers, my sisters. I need someone close enough to me to say, hey, I'm struggling. That way you benefit, you benefit. But that doesn't happen overnight. You've got to get close enough to think, can I say this to him? I'm a bit ashamed of it. I need someone I can say it to. It just broke it. When we pray together, it broke it. It's all over. But that's what it's meant to be. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens. Over 40 one another verses. It says when every part is working properly. That's how this chapter ends. We grow to a mature man when every part is working properly. I used to go and visit a lady in hospital. This wonderful, bright, bright Christian. But she'd had a stroke and she used to sit in her wheelchair in hospital and I'd go and visit and we'd chat and fellowship and she'd laugh and she'd get hold of her arm and she'd say useless thing and she threw it and she'd pick it up and we'd talk about it, that useless thing she had a member that didn't work in fact her side that side didn't work so she was limited we don't want members that don't work when it says every work every each individual part Working properly causes the growth of the body.
What a wonderful church, eh? Well, everybody knows, what's my part? We're together. It's not, I, my life's out there. I work for the insurance firm. I just pop in there occasionally. I'm a school teacher. I go in, no, no, your primary identity is part of the people of God. And you're part of them where you work as well. But our identity and where we grow is in close fellowship. So, beloved, join the small groups, get close so that we can find our place. As we go to two groups, we're going to need people helping. What team are you going to help with? You know, we need more people because we believe in God. As Sean put it so well, new people moving in, more people need to be saved. We're making space. So we've got to kind of step up and say, what's my part? Where do I fit? That we can grow together and have mighty, mighty impact for the glory of God. Amen. God says to us, I want a church that looks like the body of Christ, a mature man. So corporate, it looks like one man. Kind of joined together. Hands and body, eyes to see, ears to hear. We're one people in God's purpose. Amen. Let's just pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for its progress. I thank you for its prayer battles. I thank you for their goals as they look at this building and pray, look to you. I thank you they're on a journey together. And Father, I ask you, just enlist every one of us. Enlist every one of us. May we feel ourselves caught up in the great mission of God. Your purpose resting on us, Father. Do pray you'll bless every individual, every individual part that we might find where we fit, who we are, how to find our way through. Lord Jesus, bless your people. Help us to respond to your word with lowliness, humility, and faith, loving your truth, inviting in your Holy Spirit. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.